What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Napa know-how. This month, at your local Napa Auto Care Center, when you get a premium oil change with a cabin air filter, you also get a $15 mail-in rebate, which means the pros do the job and you get paid. Wait, what? Get your premium oil change and a cabin air filter and save 15 bucks at Napa Auto Care. Quality parts installed by the pros. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Care Centers. Offer ends 4 19 Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump, uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knocks podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you without Andy Bailey this time, but I am very pleased to be joined once again by Tony East, who writes for our own NBA math. You can also read his stuff at Def Pen Hoops. And he is also, because he wears many hats, a co-host for the Locked On Pacers podcast. So be definitely sure to check them out this season and, and give them a subscription. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Tony? I'm good. I'm uh, pretty busy this weekend, but I'm doing well. I'm excited to relax and talk about basketball. It's good that th- this is kind of dovetails with a previous podcast that you were on. Um, it's good that you're back just because it took us two takes to get that wizard's grocery outlet bargain market is your home for huge savings on name brand products this week get an amazing deal on Ruben's corned beef brisket just $2.99 a pound that's a savings of up to $2 per pound versus traditional grocery stores also start your morning off right with Fersanto Cafe single serve brew cups 80 count packages of assorted varieties are just $14.99 that's a wow savings of up to 50% offers good through March 12th grocery outlet bargain market preview out so we appreciate you coming back on this time as we keep our season preview train rolling to talk about the orlando magic are you are you ready for some orlando magic talk i am uh, i think the magic are interesting because throughout the test of time it kind of seems like they always stagnate somehow even though they add good young players so i'm uh, i'm i'm very intrigued by them they're one of the most if you look at the past uh, five to seven years, they're one of the most unnecessarily divisive teams in the NBA. <laughs> I agree. It's odd. Um, so we'll start off from that general springboard. What was your impression of of their offseason? There wasn't too many changes, but Rob Hennigan is out. They pick up Jonathan Isaac in the draft. They hand out uh, contracts to Jonathan Simmons and all-star Shelvin Mack. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, but So what was your—they bring Aaron Aflalo back. Uh, so now he gets a lot of post-ups that he can look off players while he's doing them. Um, my initial thing I want to say first is that no matter what you think of any contract or player movement of the whole offseason, firing Rob Hennigan is the best move of the offseason for any team. Uh, my old Twitter bio used to just say smarter than Rob Hennigan. I don't think that dude made a single good trade or good signing in his tenure with the Magic. I think it's hilarious that the Thunder signed him. Anyway... Uh, I think they got great value for Simmons on the wing. Uh, wings are hard to find, and Simmons is 
at least okay on both ends of the floor. I think that's a great signing. Shelvin Mack, how dare you slander him? Uh, <laughs> went to went to college in Indianapolis, so I have a soft spot for him. Uh, he's not great, you're right, but he's much better than DJ Augustine or the recently cut CJ Watson. So I think that's a nice improvement at backup point guard for them. And I just don't think they did anything wrong this offseason. And they drafted Jonathan Isaac, who, you know, looks like he's going to be awesome on defense. And it might take him a, at least a little bit on offense, but that's what Aaron Gordon's for. So I think he's going to fit in nicely eventually. We'll have to get to Jonathan Isaac because I think that's once you move past the Hennigan pivot, this, that definitely he is probably one of their most important, or if not the most important talking point of the summer. The Jonathan Simmons signing, it looks it looks very good for this team. If it was 23 to 26 of the other teams in the NBA, it'd probably look a lot better just because the Magic still aren't built to shoot threes. And Simmons has been kind of up and down, and he was up and down for a Spurs team that generally does a good job uh, getting guys quality open looks and his body demeanor was was just bad uh while he was there at points i I thought it was bizarre a lot of people viewed him as this feel-good story and and he was when you just look back at it and he had some breakout moments there Uh, but his his tenure there was just also very confusing and and up and down but i i think the biggest thing he brings is is defensive versatility because now you've seen that aaron gordon really isn't a guy who should be chasing around these perimeter players and you also get in Simmons just another secondary pick and roll option to run it because I think there are going to need to be times unless Alfred Payton starts to play like he did at the end of the season all year or like he seems to play at the end of every season unless he (laughs) kind of translate that to a full schedule you're going to want to see a little bit more from ball handlers out of Fournier and, and maybe Jonathan Simmons and maybe we see Terrence Ross run a little bit more just so that you can roll out those uh, more switchy combinations, more modern combinations, just more interesting, perhaps effective combinations. So I think he's going to be a a big deal for this team, even if he doesn't emerge as a semi-reliable threat from beyond the arc. Well, it's going to be interesting if they choose to start him or Terrence Ross. I'm almost positive it'll be Terrence Ross, but I don't know for sure. But if it is Ross and Simmons is the first guy off the bench, I mean, they had no shot creation off the bench last year at all. And that is something he can do better than anyone they even currently have off the bench. Like, Fournier goes out with the first subs, and Peyton, Alfred will too. So you got to think that Simmons is going to be the guy that they kind of run all their plays through on the second unit. Which is Aaron Aflalo. Okay, well, Aaron Aflalo <laughs> is the best shooter on their second unit, hilariously. Actually, he's pretty good. But, I mean, that'll be, that'll be odd, but they need Simmons to create something for them. I'm interested to see how they use him and, and whether they even get to a point, just because their big man situation is still ex- extremely weird. Not only do you have Vooch and, and Bismack Miyama, but you also think that Maurice Spates is is probably there for a reason as well. But I do think if you're going to try and run out these hyper-versatile combinations at some point, he, him and him and Evan Fournier, that might be maybe you can pull Alfred Payton and not have to put either of the other two backup point guards in there because you have these two guys who can sort of run uh, the, the offense off of one another. And I know a lot of people won't want to see that from Evan Fournier because he always seems to be at his best when he's off the ball and able to like dive toward the basket and, or pump and dump and things like that. But that would be an interesting option to see them go to, especially because their offense was just so blah and bad last year. Seems like it always kind of is. And uh, it was interesting because I – didn't love Fournier two years ago and then when he got that five for 85 last summer everyone thought it was such a steal and I was so surprised and then wasn't he kind of just eh last year you know like the I a guy yeah I had I remember I don't know if I wrote about this or was arguing with someone about this 
he he definitely regressed last year, but he's at least a guy who can create his own shot, and he was still semi-efficient. And I, I don't know how many times I'm going to use the word semi in this podcast, but that might be <laughs> the word of the day, the beginning of the day for the Magic. It's just that there was no space, and when you have, it seems like, three guys who weren't jostling for the same position, but they're not really these threats. There are three guys on the court, sometimes four, that aren't threats outside of the paint. It's going to be hard for those uh, wings to be efficient, to get up good shots, and I think we saw uh, him really suffer there last year. And it kind of caught on a bit at the end of the season where they had Terrence Ross and Alfred Payton was playing really well. You saw what Evan Fournier could do off the ball because he was better down that home stretch. It seems like we're always saying that about the Magic, though. So it's, <laughs> it's a matter of can they tie this thing together at the beginning or the middle at just at any point in the season that might matter as opposed to that exit run where there's half the league is either coasting because they know where they are in the playoffs or they're tanking. So th- there's definitely things there. And I, I think his contract, especially with the market crunch, probably doesn't look – as good as it did last year, but I do still think it's one of those deals. It, it's not the Alan Crabb or the Evan Turner deal where you look at it and say that was a that was a really bad deal. I think even now, with the way the market has gone, you can still spin that deal. Yeah, I just pulled them up. Fifty-five uh, percent true shooting looks great, but well, I guess looks pretty good. But when you have an eighty percent from the line, you know that's just like an okay true shooting percentage now because it's weighted so much from free throws. And I, it's funny that they surge so much every, at the end of every year because it's odd that they had that trend before last year when it seemed like last year it happened because they traded away Ibaka and they kind of had Aaron Gordon playing more at his natural position and everybody could get more minutes where they are accustomed to playing. And, you know, I think with Fournier, like you said, I think spacing will be a big deal. And maybe that's kind of why they brought Spates in because Vucevic used to be quite the good shooter, but that kind of disappeared last year too. But Spades is a shooter, and Biombo is just not even that good anymore. So maybe you'll just see only Spades and Vucevic playing, and Fournier can kind of get going from deep again. The Magic, when you look back, literally might have been the worst, least ideal team to give him that contract. Like, <laughs> it, it was a bad contract, but you could envision it on just these other teams that create more space. Just it, it would have worked out a little bit better. But that really quick on, on Fournier again, you even look at some of his shooting splits. Like, he's just not getting as many looks uh, between zero and three feet of the basket. Just a smaller share of his shot attempts are coming from there since he's joined the Magic. It's gone down every year since 2014-2015. And I do think that that's going to be a side effect of last year was we have Aaron Gordon at small forward for too many minutes. And it could also be an issue they run into this year again just because you you probably are going to have instances where maybe maybe you won't see Vooch and Biombo on the floor at the same time, but what's the dynamic between Isaac and Gordon? One of them is going to have to spend time at the three for the other, and it'll be Isaac, but he doesn't necessarily handle the ball very well, so can he be a three? So there will be a lot of questions there, but I think, and, and again, Evan Fournier is not going to give you anything or much on the defensive end, so you need him to be obviously really good on offense. I just think there's still hope and, and a blueprint there. If he's not forced to take, uh, if he's not forced to create for himself as much, and if you can get him into that kind of end of season role where he's working off the ball a lot because it's it's either zooming around or they're getting dribble penetration from Alfred Payton or, or some of their other wings. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. Uh, I just pulled up Terrence Ross's page, and we're talking about how they have no spacing. With Toronto last year, Ross was uh, 37.5% from three traded to Orlando, and it drops to 34%. And he had more attempts with Orlando. So it's it's just, that's so obvious to me that there's something wrong with the spacing on the Magic, that Terrence Ross, who's a pretty good three-point shooter, 
you know, couldn't even get him to go anymore because their spacing was so bad. And I think their wing depth is better now, and now they have to use their post depth in a way that lets their, their wing depth actually, you know, play basketball to their strengths. It's, I mean, they're efficiency killers, and even if, if you look at players on their team who appeared uh, in at least half the season last year, Serge Ibaka was the only one to shoot at an above-average clip from three, and he didn't even finish the year in Orlando. So you, if you use that, you know, players to play half the season in Orlando and finish the season in Orlando, no one shot at a league-average clip or better from beyond the arc. So th- that's just – that's crazy. And, again, Jonathan Simmons might help because he's that extra ball handler and maybe it takes a little bit of the burden off Evan Fournier. Uh, Alfred Payton's never – going to be a threat it at least doesn't look like he did shoot i think it was over the last 20 games in small volume uh, he was taking less than one attempt per game he did shoot 33.3 percent which would be a hell of a good number for him just because it it puts the defense in a situation where they say well i guess maybe we'll guard him or if they're not going to guard him at least he can make them pay sometimes uh, so perhaps that helps evan fournier or maybe he uses that as a launch board next season but his development they need to hit on him because you did invest money there and you have dead money basically tied up in Biombo. And the biggest question I think surrounding this team right now is who is the cornerstone? Are you going to reinvest in Peyton or Gordon, both of whom are extension eligible and will be restricted free agents next summer, assuming they don't get a deal? Are you not looking towards Jonathan Isaac to be that franchise savior? It's not going to be Evan Fournier. The question in the interim, I guess, would be can – can he be the leading scorer of a team that doesn't absolutely suck? And if you want to talk about you know, them even having a 30-plus win uh, record, getting to 35 or something, like, can he be the guy that helps them show progress while they're still looking or determining who that real franchise face is going to be? Yeah, and it'll be interesting, too, because now that they added new management, those guys are going to be looking to kind of shape the team their own way. And if they don't really like the play styles or abilities of Alfred or or Gordon, they're going to, you know, maybe not extend these guys or look to move them this year or something like that. You know, teams, I wouldn't say their future's up in the air necessarily because they're both good young players, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they use them and even if they keep them around. I was, speaking of that regime change, the one thing I was a little bit surprised of, or I was just convinced, there was a little conspiracy theory I had leading into free agency, and it was quashed very quickly because his deal was. It was clearly hammered out before July 1st. I, I thought there was going to be like some Tony Snell magic buzz just because you had John Hammond there, and we know Hammond really liked Snell. But that was my – they got Simmons instead, who's n- nowhere near the same player. He can run, pick, and roll, and he's not as good a shooter. But I was a little bit disappointed to see that there weren't some rumors there. Yeah, and I think with Simmons, you know, that the, the Hammond, Hammond will be happy with him, and he's not like that much worse than Snell. They got pretty similar money this offseason. But I will be curious with Simmons if, A, the Spurs system kind of propped him up, and B, how much his like reputation from that amazing first game of the season he had really carries him. Uh, it's kind of funny. Last year, I, I never really thought how much first impressions lasted throughout the season. But like Simmons had that one good game, and then was just kind of like okay the rest of the year, and everyone thought he was really good. And Jeff Teague was terrible in his first uh, 10 games. He was like 8 for 40 from 3 and just looked terrible, and everyone thought he was just okay the whole season, but he was actually great the rest of the way. So his first impressions kind of go a long way, and I think with Simmons that could end up being problematic if he doesn't be as good as he was last year with an already pretty uh, regimented San Antonio team. Now with that regiment gone, how uh, how effective he'll be. And it, it's weird just because the, the Magic could lead the NBA in, in wild cards right now just because yeah. we've talked about Evan Fournier 
what is he kind of going to be? Is, it, is his struggles, were they just a symptom of how bad or how the team was built last year? Are they something bigger? Was Jonathan Simmons, was he propped up during his good times by the Spurs, or, or can he be something outside of San Antonio? And then, and then you just look at these other names. You know, we're, We can assume, that, like, who's the most certain player on this roster? It's probably it's Vucevic, obviously. Maybe you could look at and say, you know, Terrence Ross will probably shoot okay from three, and he's just going to be that guy. But they have Mario Hazonia, who I, I was a big believer in, and, and he just doesn't really even see the floor, hasn't looked like an NBA player at times. You have Aaron Gordon and Elfram Payton, who you can say, you know, they they do look like um, NBA players, but but what are they? Like, what, what kind of NBA players are they? Are they going to be these mid-level players? Are they going to be these role players? Or will either of them have a chance at turning into even a fringe star? So you just go up and down the roster, and it's, it's everywhere. It's it's not just in, in one spot or concentrated in one area. It's at every single position. And then there's just the future of the team in general. You look at the players on this roster. Are they, are they going to really lean in to Jonathan Isaac's development? And it's probably time we get it deeper into that uh, now that we're here. Or are they going to kind of favor uh, those lineups where maybe Maurice Spates gets some time at power forward? Maybe they're going to put Aaron Gordon at power forward and they're going to allocate more time at small forward to Fournier and Simmons and Hazonia instead of Isaac. Are they going to bring him along slowly? How is this going to work? Well, will Hazonia get to see the floor more next year? Or are we going to see Simmons and, and Ross and Aflalo just kill all his minutes? So it, the magic, it's it has to be an identity-finding season, and we can look at them and say they're rebuilding because they are, but the absence of viable cornerstones that you know are going to be in Orlando beyond next season makes it really tough to figure out how this team is going to be run and, and sometimes even how they're going to play. Yeah, and you, you you really just went through every single player, so I'm going to have to pick and choose out of things you just said, how I can think they can build a cornerstone. Uh, if you start with Aaron Gordon, who you would want to say is, if you had to pick someone to be their cornerstone right now, you'd probably pick him. He's great on off. Well, great. He's a good offensive player, and he's never really had the opportunity to play his natural position that well. Um, but this year, you've got to finally assume this team's going to understand that he's a four, right? And they're going to play him at the four. And he had the fourth best offensive rating on the team last year. I mean, he's a good offensive player. And I think with Jonathan Isaac, he's a good defensive player, and they kind of can develop him as such. Uh, they only had one guy with below a 108 defensive rating last year. How awful is that? And it was Vucevic who took a step back on offense. So I think that they'll kind of try to get an offensive identity going with Gordon and a defensive identity going with Isaac and kind of adjust their lineups around those guys as such. And maybe that can be our our little slight answer to our variable questions. But it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys end up fitting together. We hope they're done playing Aaron Gordon as small forward anyway. And <laughs> they might get improvement from Vucevic. Maybe he'll shoot more threes or just not having to deal with as many dual big lineups because my guess would be that Vogel is hardly ever going to play a Biombo Vucevic combination, having that extra space might help him. Having an extra ball handler who can maybe find him out of the pick and roll and Simmons is going to help him. But even when you look at that bright side, it's, well, how are you going to leverage space down the middle when you don't really have a ton of shooters still uh, to to leverage in those situations against that? So uh, everything we talk about is just very interesting with them. And I really am just captivated by what's going to happen with Jonathan Isaacs development are, are they going to bring him along slowly or going to are they going to show him more commitment out of the gate than they have to mario Rizonia, who it seems has been able to play himself out of the rotation like in, in an instant just when he makes these mistakes uh, so I, I don't know what they're necessarily going to do with him my guess would be that they'll probably start 
by developing him as a as a three, just because of the setup as a roster. They know that it can't be Gordon next year, and you eventually want Isaac and Gordon to share the floor a bunch because there's a chance at the end of next season we're talking about them as two of their three best players even. I know Isaac's a rookie, but but maybe he pops. But long-term, I think if you look at this roster, you, you would hope that if they hit on both these guys, they want them to maybe be that one-two puncher, those, those two best guys on the team. And I would love to see at some point the Gordon at the five with Isaac at the four lineups with three wings around them. But in, in the interim, my guess would be, and, and not being dialed into them definitely hurts this projection, but my, my guess would be that you develop him as a three, you bring him off the bench and try and get him as many minutes at the four as you can, but it looks like small forward would be where his home is for now. Yeah, their small forward situation is kind of weird, and they might have a lot of two guards kind of playing up like Fournier and Aflalo. I think they're kind of going to need Aflalo to play the three-two because he's far and away their best three-point shooter. I didn't know he shot 41% last year. That's really impressive. And with Isaac, um, I agree with you that they're eventually going to want him to share the floor with Gordon, which just makes the Spade signing a little more perplexing. But at the same time, neither of them have any rim protection skills to me, or at least that I've seen in the NBA. So I don't even know if that would work, but it'd be weird having two kind of like not shooting stretchy fours on the floor. So I don't know how well they're going to share the court together. So I kind of think maybe they'll experiment with just a straight like two power forward system all year. 30 minutes to Gordon, 18 to Isaac, see how it goes. Yeah, that, that's a good point that neither of them are, are real rim protectors, and you need one of them, and as yet to be Gordon, but one of them has to turn into a, a viable three-point threat for, for that marriage to kind of work. And I, there might be people, and I could be one of them, that are willing to bet Isaac will do that before Gordon, who just hasn't looked great from beyond the arc. And he shot, I think it was 4.2 threes per 36 minutes last year, which isn't insignificant but when you're hitting them at a sub 29 percent clip no one needs to guard you from out there and his his ball handling skills I think they've improved but they're not to the point where we're going to respect his range because he'll beat us off the dribble if we give him too much space or, or hit a floater or pull up jumper in the lane yeah and they have a you know they kind of did an experiment that I that will probably never happen again in the NBA which is just like all right let's put a bunch of shot creators together and see how it goes and they can all create a shot, but none of them can make it. And maybe Isaac can be that guy, too, instead of Gordon and replace him and be more of a, a scoring threat because, you know, Gordon's really good off the dribble and he kind of gets the rim and set up other guys, but no one can score. So maybe all their stats look bogged down because of that. But it, it's going to be an interesting and kind of delicate situation going forward, and I don't really know how they're going to handle it. I mean, they drafted a guy who plays the same position as their, I guess, franchise cornerstone right now, but at the same time it was – they're not in a position to not be drafting the best player available. That's a, the, you, I didn't even really think about it that way. It's Yes, you, you know that Isaac and Gordon are probably best off at the same position, but when you Aaron Gordon right now is their best shot at having a real cornerstone, and they just drafted someone in the top seven who plays his position. That's, such a, that's, that's something you really shouldn't have to say. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And I don't want to. I never want to be that guy who says, "Oh my gosh, they should have drafted X, Y, Z." Like at the time, like people are going to look back on this draft and say, "Every team should have drafted Dennis Smith." Maybe like that's a thing that could happen. But like no one would have saying Dennis Smith should go six. Like everyone was saying Isaac should go six. Like they made the right pick there, and he's a good player. So I think I know. I mean, maybe he could turn out. Maybe he can fit in next to Gordon. That would be the perfect situation for them in terms of their future and their now because they kind of need that kind of hope. But who knows? I uh, I do not. I will be very intrigued by that. You know who I see when I, from when I watch uh, Isaac play? I just 
envision and I can't get away from it. Like I've tried to find other comps. Just like picture nitrous oxide running through Patrick Patterson's veins and <laughs> it, it just I, I see Jonathan Isaac for some reason and I just don't know why when I, when I look at their play styles. I uh, did my first bit of attempt at scouting this year and with Jonathan I that's actually a decent comp, but I will say my one other thing is that I don't think I've ever seen Patrick Patterson dribble ever. And I that's I the feel nitrous like oxide. That's what the nitrous oxide is, is dribbling. Yeah. I think Jonathan Isaac will be able to dribble. If he can end up hitting the corner three like Patterson, he's going to be a great player. I mean, that would be awesome. Um, that's an interesting comp. His sh- this is not a comparison. This is just a, a an observation. His shot form is identical to Anthony Davis's. And no one ever really thought Anthony Davis would have a jump shot and he would kind of be a defensive post player. So I'm not saying he could be as good of an offensive player as Anthony Davis, but the tools exist at the moment that that is possible to me. They, they, I really like Isaac in the draft, but I don't think he'll turn out to be that good, obviously. But I think he's you know, got the potential definitely to be the best. If I had to bet in four years who the best player on the Magic is, I would say Jonathan Isaac. I mean, when you look at the roster right now, that's not really a hey, far leap to make. Damning with faint praise is still praise. Uh, you are correct, and he—I always forget this. He shot almost thirty-five percent from beyond the arc at Florida State yeah. last year. Yeah, he, he, yeah, and they had Dwayne Bacon on his team. Like they had a good, like share and score kind of system going. They were a, they were an all right team. He's a he's a good player. He's totally worth the guy being the guy they should have picked. It just stinks that their best player just happens to play the same position as him. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned Anthony Davis because when you watch kind of when I watch Anthony Davis operate off the dribble. It's I love it, and he can be wildly effective when he's doing it, but I'm always, maybe not always, but like 70% of the time I'm shocked that he doesn't turn the ball over because I, just sometimes the angles he uses or uh, with how much space his dribble is in front of him where it always looks like he's going to lose the ball or it's too far out in front of him and someone will swipe it, but and his footwork never actually looks clean. He completes it, but it just doesn't look, nothing about it seems calculated. It all seems like this improvisional chaos, and I love watching it, and I'm always shocked that he hasn't turned the ball over, that he is so effective sometimes in these situations, and I guess if I I look back to the tape that I was watching on Isaac leading up to the draft this year, I can kind of see that a little bit, and I I get we're not comparing him on the same plan, so that's an interesting comp, but I I kind of see that, that bit of just chaos, effective chaos in, in, in the two of them when you look at what could happen uh, when the ball is in his hands. Well, you have to look at those. Like I, I noticed that too when I was watching them. But, you know, at first you think the footwork's bad and it should lead to turnovers. But when it doesn't, you have to realize after a while that that trend is like a real trend and not just a thing. But it's also hard for me to look at that and say, okay, his odd footwork is bad, but it works because it's college basketball. Like everything is just worse in general. No, and, and for sure, and I, I, Davis is a good player, and like when he's going off the dribble now, he's a threat. I'm just still, um, even if you expect it, just watching it happen is is what I'm still amazed. And maybe uh, my point, my point then would be is maybe Isaac is that player where it's kind of disarming at how good he'll eventually get off the dribble because it's not, it doesn't look as polished. Even though we have to talk about Davis when when things are effective, you're right. You do have to put the credit where the credit is due and just call him a good on the ball player even it doesn't have to necessarily look pretty or look under control now maybe it's controlled chaos you know what i'm saying it looks like chaos but it's obviously controlled chaos maybe that's the the model that isaac will will be again not on the same level as anthony davis but it's it's tough for me to envision him and it was tough for me to envision anthony davis being this as a featured offensive option but here we are with anthony davis and you know maybe two years down the line we're talking about isaac as 
we don't have to call him a number one option. We don't have to call him the best scorer on a, an above-average offensive team, but maybe he's a, a really good number two who's solid at creating his own looks. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree with all that, and I I feel bad for people listening because we've been talking about Jonathan Isaac a lot, but that's just kind of how the Magic are. Their, their roster is constructed and then pretty similar fashion to last year, so there's not a whole lot of new intrigue. And we'd already talked about all the mysteries, but Isaac, to me, is the most intriguing and most mystery player on the team. And he bared some most talking for all of these reasons that we've discussed and that he could end up being a great offensive player. And he has all the tools to be a great defensive player. And he could, in theory, be exactly what they need. So he just, he, so I feel like a lot of the Magic's future kind of contingents on him. Well, this is the time of the year where everyone is spinning the unknown as kind of an advantage. Player X could turn into this, and, and no one is more optimistic than they are regarding their team, a certain team or every team, than at the beginning to middle to late September, just before the training camps open. And Isaac, yes, there's mystery to Gordon and Peyton still. And I, I say Peyton still just because, again, that end-of-season burst just seems real. Uh, so And he's going into a contract year, basically, so he could be really good. But you have Jonathan Isaac now. You don't have to worry about his extension for three years or restricted free agency for four years. And so that's the mystery that matters. You're coming up on big, probably expensive decisions for both Gordon and Peyton, but, but you have Isaac there to groom. So that unknown is really a big advantage just because of that rookie-scale deal. Yeah, exactly. And... You know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with those guys. I don't think either of them will get extensions because they're so wildly inconsistent, even within each season. I mean, it's really hard to value them. I'm sure both of them think they're – when I say both, I mean Gordon and Payton. I'm sure both of them think they're like 15 to 20 million year players, and they have the opportunity to prove it this year, and I think they could both do it, but, you know, we'll have to see. They're, those guys are really hard to tell, like where they rank in terms of their position and on their own team and all that. Well, that's actually a fun conversation that I think I'm going to force us to have. What would you give? Yeah. Let's go with Alfred Payton. What would you pay him right now? Right now? Oh, man. Like uh, he, you can't. Like, he probably wants Dennis Schroeder money, and he is not worth it. Dennis Schroeder got 4 and 70, right? Yeah, I was going to say 4 for 50 is what I'd offer him right now. Um, and then if he doesn't like to me his because to me he's like not terrible at anything right so he's a kind of high floor just because he's okay at everything so even if he's like never gets any better and he's just like a five or six million dollar a year player you're not getting totally killed by his contract and if he does improve and does a whole season like he did in the second half of last year then you're like sweet we're getting good value for this guy so I would probably say four for fifty maybe like four for forty eight just make it an even twelve million for Fred do you think that's okay? Yeah, the Kemba Walker special is what we can call it. <laughs> I don't think he'll ever be as good a scorer as Kemba. No, um, um, Kemba, man, the way Kemba's just become like one of the best shooters in the league these past two seasons all of a sudden, and that will never yeah. be Peyton. The thing that I, I think bothers me the most, and if we're going to use it, though, as, a, as an excuse, the personnel for a guy like Evan Fournier, I, th I think we need to do it with Peyton, too. It's just when you haven't even been the pilot for a close to average offense and when you're uh when you're going off at towards the end of these seasons with these 20 game stretches and your team isn't necessarily winning like that that's a red flag for me the upshot to that is again the personnel around him isn't good and if you look at those final 20 games last year uh the magic pumped in 111 points per 100 possessions when he was on the floor which is basically a top two or three offensive rating mark that's a big deal the defense was still bad but uh, but again that there's person there's not ideal personnel around him and the whole 
the whole, and I don't like using these as like end all barometers, the O ratings and D ratings for guys, especially when we're not talking on off. But if you look at his career splits for pre and post all star, it's night and day on offense he, for his career before the all star break. An offensive rating of 99, post All Star break, 107. Like we're talking career, so these are thousands of minutes of samples, and so so that's just a very real. You know, we're talking about almost set. It's 75 games for his career after the All Star break, compared with more than twice as many beforehand. So it's there, something clicks or something happens. Maybe he's is he the Drew Brees of the NBA, where he's just capitalizing on a lot of collective garbage time. I I, I you know I honestly don't know, but I think you're deal is fair and i that's probably something you could justify as the magic although i'm not maybe they don't want to get into him for any kind of money right now well it the wild inconsistency almost makes me more inclined to give him an extension which sounds like backwards thinking but like if he becomes that the second half of the season player for a whole year that's like a 16 18 million dollar a year player yeah you could say you could save a lot of money getting him now as opposed to waiting I, but I guess the flip side would be who's going after this kid next year? Like <laughs> well, every team needs a good point guard. If you believe he's a good point guard, I just I, to see. I think so much of it could come back to personnel. So it's a very iffy conversation at best. It's just he's never been for a full season or close to a full season the, the point guard for a, an offense that you look at and say it's very good. But again, the personnel has just been not conducive to it. And I do think you know, if we look at the last twenty twenty one games. Last year, that, that maybe there's evidence there in the connection he developed with Evan Fournier is a big deal. You have Terrence Ross there now. Aaron Gordon could be better playing at his natural position more. Maybe Isaac does something for you uh, off the bench. So it, it it could get interesting for him really quick. Uh, if you're the Magic, though, I, I would think again I agree with you. Running in circles, if it was a four fifty, maybe I'd go four fifty two as high as four fifty four most for him. I think you could probably. Uh, spin that but then again maybe not just because you look at uh, every team will take good point guards and they'll still pay good point guards but Alfred Payton I don't think people are sure if he's a good point guard yet and there aren't this swath of uh, open starting vacancies around the league at that spot it doesn't seem as congested as the center position right now just because people will use guards point guards as off guards now shout out New Orleans Pelicans clearly but I, I don't know, just from the Magic's perspective, even if he was willing to go 450, I could see them just, like, balking at it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what they'll end up doing. And, you know, it's a, like I said earlier, it's a new regime, so maybe they don't even see him as a part of their future, and then it's just over for him. Now, if we moved up, what would you give Aaron Gordon right now? Oh, man. That's a tough uh, one, right? Yeah, that one's hard because, you know, contracts are supposed to be paying a guy for what they will contribute, and... I don't know what Gordon's going to contribute because I don't really know what he does at the four for a full season. Uh, four for 66, four for 70, I, I guess. I feel like – oh, Man, is that too high? I don't know. That's hard. It sounds too high, but I, it would be one of those deals that I wouldn't necessarily vomit at because I, I do think even when we're talking about uh, how chintzy the market is going to be, uh, next year and, and cheap and they're like these teams are going to low ball players I could see a team maybe trying to make him into a small ball five and just giving him a lot of money because they see that just athleticism there, hoping he can develop as a rim protector maybe they think he'll be able to hit some more three-pointers on a team that generates actual space so I, I could more so than Peyton I could see a team outside of Orlando gambling really big on Aaron Gordon to where if you can get him 
for let's say 17 million a year or 16 million dollars a year that might be something that would be very appealing to orlando well i know exactly what the magic are gonna say is the league there's less cap space than this year next year no one like these guys have so many question marks they might not even get paid so i don't think they're gonna extend either and they're just gonna say fine you think you're worth whatever then you go get the deal and we'll match it next summer because they're probably not gonna be able to get it i if you know if i was the magic I would just sit down at a table with Aaron Gordon, his agent, and just utter the words Nerlens Noel and <laughs> see what they do. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, because that's the point, though, is that these if they want to gamble going to the market, that's fine. But how many players thought they could do that this year? I mean, Nikola Mirotic is, is an NBA player, and he's, he's just still floating around there unsigned. Mason Plumlee. Right Jermichael Green. You know yeah. how I feel about Jermichael yeah. Green. <laughs> I feel that way. I feel the way you feel about Michael Green about Jamichael Green about Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley's in like a worse situation just because you look at the position he plays and it's like where the hell would he go? Like for, let's just say teams had money right now and there's barely anyone does. There's just not. He's a starting caliber center who has to be a backup at this point. Like where? When I think about him, when I, when I think of Mason Plumley, I think he's the 31st best center in the NBA. Right. So he's one below all the starters, but he's way too good to be the best backup. Like, it's just a tough spot for him. And I don't like the – we can say it, but I don't like the argument that, oh, these guys are just hitting um, free agency one year too late. But it's just a little bit more pertinent to Mason because we have Miles Plumlee out there making $12.5 million for the next three years. (laughs) And Mason Plumlee's not – I don't think someone would go out there and be like, hey, here's three years, $38 million, just so that you can make a half million dollars more than your – crappy brother over the next I just, I just don't think that deal would be out there and if teams even had if yeah. more teams had that money he's probably not getting that so that's that's even crazier to think about miles paul me so overpaid he's been traded twice already like hey he's gonna be that rim running shot blocker man gosh well mason's actually good like mason Plum is a good player we have strayed far away from the magic but that's, these are the fears that these guys podcast needs to go these are, the fears, these are the fears that AG and Alfred will certainly have, and your Nerlens comp is great because, I mean, they're 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 almost too good to want to lose them. So the qualifying offer is scary, but that it's they're very hard to evaluate. And the team I talk about the most is the Pacers. I mean, they could use both of them, but I'd be scared if if they threw these guys big money too. And I I guess you also have to look at the rest of the like. The, the free agent market and they don't play the same position but for gordon in particular you're gonna have you know demarcus cousins is gonna be a big man on the open market uh derek favors will be there brooke lopez will be there so you're gonna nerlens noel will be there now too so <laughs> you're gonna have these at uh, jabari parker his free agent deandre jordan there. right deandre if he opts out deandre jordan so the, there are going to be uh, – some of them are centered. Uh, Joel Embiid, if he doesn't get an extension, is going to be a restricted free agent. Greg so, Monroe. We could go on forever. Right. So you're in that pool of names, and uh, you're going to be looped there. So are those outside offers necessarily going to be there, especially because you're a restricted free agent and teams still don't want to tie up their cap space in you? You know, there's not looking – maybe the Suns don't need him, and they're probably the best candidate to be the Nets team that will have all this cap space and just – tie it up and make teams overpay for their players so that, that they might 
you, you know, you probably never, I don't, you want to use force him into an extension, but if you're Gordon specifically, I think this is something you would have to really look at because the league is probably going to be more inclined still to just roll the dice on, on guards, even if it's a guy like Alfred Payton who can't shoot worth a damn necessarily right now, at least not for more than a few game stretches at a time. So I, I'd be more, it's weird. I think, and this is a stupid thing to say, I think it's riskier for him to go into restricted free agency, but I think it's also more rewarding for him to do so. Like he would have the bigger potential payday if we're looking at these players and assuming they don't change measurably over the course of this year. Yeah, and that's why this that's why this season is so important for both of them is because like you said, if nothing changes, there's question marks, but things are going to change and basketball is going to be played. And the Magic have enough intrigue and new players that, you know, maybe something changes for them. Maybe they have a good defense this year. That was supposed to be the selling point last year, and they were uh, – was it for the first part of the year? They were really, really stingy, and then they finished 22nd in points allowed per 100 possessions, which is, is not good. Um, but now that you have Gordon back at his natural position, now that you have Jonathan Simmons in the fold, uh, maybe they can be an average to above average defensive team. Uh, maybe. I'm just going to keep saying that. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I – Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they had Ibaka and Biombo coming in. I get why everyone thought they'd be a good defense last year, but it did not work out at all. Um, I don't think they added anyone who is that good on defense. I guess you could say they added Terrence Ross for a full year, and he's pretty good on defense. But Simmons, I think too, can defend some point guards, which I think will be— he doesn't necessarily need to if Peyton's on the floor because he's okay, but he's an interesting guy. Again, if I come back to just wing-heavy lineups, that's someone that you want in there. Yeah, I think they'll, they can keep their head above water, but they'll they'll definitely have a, a better time on the offensive end than the defensive end. Uh, who's more likely to have the career season, Peyton or Gordon? Oh, man. The Magic have made me on. Um, <laughs> I will pick Aaron Gordon because I think him playing in his natural position will allow him to do the things that he's better at more often. I, I just wonder if the personnel is going to allow it for him, which is my, why my pick would be Peyton. I like Gordon better as the player, but the situation seems better set up for Peyton to me. And it, I mean, it's maybe the Magic are just resigned to saying, hey, we're going to just pay Biombo his money, and he's he's not going to play. But if, when you have to fit both him and Vucevic into the, into the rotation and you think that most Bates is going to be there to play, uh, the, and with Jonathan Isaac, you have to get him some looks at power forward. It could just be... Just a little, little bit crowded up there still, even with some of the changes they've undergone. And and Biombo's, uh, he was part of the reason why, like you said, everyone thought the Magic were going to be a good defensive team. And looking back, I know a lot of it hinged on Gordon being able to defend small forwards, which was something that they were just resigned to thinking he could do. And it turns out he wasn't a very good wing defender. Biombo just, you saw it. Like he is a rim runner who can protect the rim sometimes and Toronto was perfect for that for him but when you look at his numbers he played nearly identical minutes in Orlando and he faced fewer shots at the rim on defense because he was busy chasing around guys who had the ball when he's not supposed to do that so that you could have uh, Nikola Vujevic or at times Serge Ibaka being more of the conventional rim protector behind him and just running a pick and roll with him was so like it was just such a task because there's no room for him to dive down towards the middle. You're so very easily able to pack the paint, and that's why I said the Magic may have been the worst situation in the NBA for him just because the two things that he can do at a close-to-elite level and the two things that you would need him to do, the Magic can't allow him to do. He also had 
what, like six good games in that playoff series and got paid for it. Like his sample size of actual elite skills was so small. Right. I mean, that's fair too. I mean, 2016, if you had a good game, you just got paid. You know, Bismack Biombo's uh, career high points per 36 minutes is less than 10. <laughs> hey, that means he doesn't need the ball, man. <laughs> I, uh, I, at the time, like, I get it. Like, defensive centers are way more important than offensive centers. But, man, I was like, $16 million for this guy with, like, a good playoff series? Come on. Against the Pacers? Could you – I? what would it take to sweeten his contract right now? Three years and $51 million, I think, is left on it. 17 per. Uh, <laughs> It'd have to be two firsts, right? Like, it's it's that situation? Cause you, you, don't even, you could look and say – because you're clearly not going to use Isaac. He hasn't taken the floor for you yet. But – the D'Angelo Russell Timothy Mozgov situation was was really unique. But the Lakers had that guy where they could say, "Hey, we've had him for two years, and you know we we don't think we need him anymore. We want to draft Lonzo Ball. Like, let's just do this. We're going for cap space anyway." The Magic can't do that with no one's going to take Peyton necessarily as the sweetener, and I don't think you can't justifiably give up on Eric Gordon just to use him as, as that sweetener because uh, excuse me, Aaron Gordon. I just call him Eric Gordon. You can't use him as that because that's selling incredibly low on a guy that you really haven't given a fair shake to. He didn't play a lot as a rookie. Um, his sophomore campaign, there were times where he showed flashes and you were able to get him a, a good amount of his time at Power Forward, but he still spent almost half of his minutes there for a b-ball ref, and then you spend most of his minutes there the next year. So they don't even have that. Yes, you have all your picks, but as a team that really hasn't drafted that well since Dwight Howard left, despite cyclically coming back in the top seven, uh, you have to, it looks like, just eat it. And I guess the argument there would be, well, you might as well just eat it because you're not a free agent destination and it doesn't look like you're built to win anytime soon anyway. But that's an interesting contract where they probably can't even talk about using one first-round pick to get it off until it's expiring. Does uh, does Mario Hazonia do anything for you? It does something for me, but I don't, it doesn't do anything <laughs> for people around the league, which leads me to think that there's something wrong with me. So, oh, man, I'm looking up and down their asset list. Yeah, they're not giving up anybody who is going to get you close there. It would, I mean, man, I think that they could get creative in a way and trade him for, like, a bad contract with lower money with Hazonia and something. You know, maybe, like, uh, like they dump him for Myers Leonard and they send an asset to Portland to, like, Hazonia or, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is really hard. They're kind of stuck with him. That uh, I want Hazonia to be good. I thought he was going to be so fun coming into the league. And watching him play, it doesn't even look – yeah, uh, the J.R. Smith – style shot selection like that was everyone's go-to comparison he just doesn't jr smith looks like he was in there just wreak havoc and his just doesn't have that same vibe to him and again i, uh, I, I got one I actually got a trade kind of oh boy i'm sorry to interrupt you okay so wait i actually have the stipulation so i'm does omar ashik have two or three years left he's got three. Oh, never mind i was gonna say <laughs> if the pelicans would be willing to to eat a year there biombo would be way better of a backup center for them than anyone they have and then they could probably get an asset to help the Magic get off a little money in the short term and a lot of money in the long term if Ashik only had two years, but he has three, so never mind. And could you? they would be paying roughly, it would be close to $75 million to three centers next year if they keep the Marcus? I thought I had something. I, I think it actually <laughs> came up with a Biombo trade. I'll, I'll try and find it um, as we're talking. But I, I the, the point I want to end on before we get to the tying of the bow 
Mario Hazonia impressions of him that you've seen him like I he was in Frank Vogel's doghouse for so much of last season have you seen something anything from him that makes you think you know, maybe he's still going to turn into an asset yet like is this just another situation where you have to be well the magic personnel hasn't been great just look at how his three-point percentage really just plunged from his rookie to his sophomore season well, tough problem for Hazonia, like so many Magic players, you think, is they play him at a position. I mean, last year he paid almost 20% of his minutes at the four. At the freaking four. Like, this dude is a guard and he's playing the four. First of all, it should be Aaron Gordon's minutes. But, I mean, I, just, I personally have not seen anything that makes me think that this guy can stick in the NBA. I mean, he shot under 40% from two-point range last year, under 30% from three-point range last year. Like, that should be its own club. Screw 50, 40, 90. Let's get the under 40, under 30 club. That's got to be way harder to do. I mean, I don't, I've never seen anything from him that impresses me, and I, I understood the scouting report for him, but it is not turning out at all. I just I kind of want to know how you combine for 50 lost balls and bad passes when you play <laughs> under 1,000 minutes. It's just, you know, and even in his first season, he combined for uh, – what was it, 74 bad passes and lost balls, and he at least played 1,400 minutes then, but he looks like he could end up being that turnover machine without that really poppy uh, offensive potential. I, I, I had high hopes for him, but I don't have a problem with him playing the four necessarily because he's six foot eight inches, and that's really where his advantage should come when he has the ball in his hands, but again, do the Magic, one, have the personnel around him to make that work, and, and two, he ha- has he shown enough or even flashes in the pan on, on offense to make you think that they should even try it, and now they can't try it because you have Isaac and Gordon in no, getting those they, two minutes. they shouldn't the try it. They should not try it. I'm not as against it as you are, but... Um, 45% true shooting is, is awful. Right, but again, just the, the person that... I mean, he was... Frank Vogel <laughs> must not like him. There, there has No, some, he's just bad. You, are you ready to call him bad? I still think he has that, like, unfinished mystique to him. Like, because I, I think this is the last year you have it, but he's 22, and he's entering his third year, and he, he didn't really get to play that much last year. He averaged under 15 minutes a game. He appeared in 65 games. I think 2,500 career minutes with a net rating of minus 18 is enough for me to think uh, you're not a very good player. Well, then you're not going to like the Biombo trade I came up with a, a, like a month ago because it had <laughs> Mario Zonia as a sweetener. It's a three-team deal. No, I think I think he has potential to enough potential to be a sweetener. That's fair. So this is the deal I had. It was a three-team deal with the Bulls, the Pistons, and the Magic. The Bulls, okay. the Bulls got, and the assumption is the Bulls are tanking. So this is the trade that, if you're them, you want to make. You would trade Biom- you The Bulls get Biombo, Hazonia a 2018 lottery-protected first-round pick from Detroit. The Pistons uh, receive Alfred Payton, Terrence Ross, and Cameron Payne, and the Magic receive Reggie Jackson and Robin Lopez. Okay. I'm processing this. I think the Pistons make out like bandits here. Um, I I agree for them. Um, <laughs> and I, I think if you're the Magic, you know, you— Robin Lopez is under contract for just two years at less money, and he's uh, good. Yeah, he's he's actually good, and he can do more things than Biombo can. He developed into a better passer over the last two seasons. Not that you necessarily want him having the ball that much more, but he's a little bit more of a mobile rim protector than Biombo would be. And and you get Reggie Jackson, who I think that might be the problem for them because now you're trading out kind of one bad contract for another. But Jackson was good 
2015-2016, and it, it said last year there were reports that Orlando might have had interest in him. I was indifferent to this trade, and that's how that's the trades when I, I do a lot of hypothetical trade package articles. I have to be completely look at a trade and be like almost indifferent to it, and then that's how I know that I love it. If I'm indifferent to it almost <laughs> for every team, if I can't pick out a if I can't pick out a winner specifically and a loser specifically. What I think it would have to be is just they take back a bad money in a different form that helps them more. Almost like maybe like a tiny bit of sweetener to swap him for Tyson Chandler or like something like that. I it's just it's a nightmare and I, I it's so hard. Right. And it, there's not even like he couldn't even rebuild his value at this point to be moved because he oh. can, he can have a great year and just no one's going to give centers that money anymore. I know. Um so kind of looking at this team now, where where do you see them what do you what what is your pessimistic projection for them and their their optimistic projection for them based on a roster that's probably not we're we're just going to assume no major injuries if it doesn't change throughout the year. Uh, how do you go back and forth between those two spectrums? Pessimistically, they you said no injuries, so I'll say just it doesn't become a conducive roster like it seems like it never has been. It stays kind of that everyone's kind of doing their own thing on the court the whole time. You know, Terrence Ross doesn't end up helping with spacing issues, and Spades doesn't help with spacing issues, and Vucevic continues to be awful scoring it all inside, and. Biombo still isn't very good, and they win, you know, 29, 30 games again, and they're stuck kind of figuring out if they should tread water next offseason or not because they're they're kind of snowballing to next offseason being incredibly important. And if this year goes badly for them, it'll be really hard for them to have next offseason uh, go well. And optimistically, um, they have their two best players are under 25, and they just added Jonathan Simmons and Maurice Spates and Aflalo, who are all, you know, okay NBA players. And, you know, if you think – and Shelvin Mack. I apologize for not including Shelvin Mack. Uh, if they – you know, if their additions can add to them, you know, two or three wins and they just, as a young team, just generally improve by two or three wins, that gets them to like 35, 36. And that's probably close to the 18 in the East. I mean – I know they wouldn't want to make the playoffs necessarily, but if they're close, maybe you know maybe they go for it and they make it. So where what would be where do you have them? And I, you were talking some, you were spitting some pretty big game before the podcast. So I hope you get to that point here. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess it kind of depends on how the Pistons flop out, but I think there is a chance they they get to that eight seed. I think they finish eighth or ninth in the East with about thirty four or thirty five wins because. I think in a contract year, you'll see Gordon and Peyton take those steps forward. And I think that, you know, they have the new front office. Vogel's had a year under his belt. You know, they added contributors that are that have specific skill sets. They aren't just like guys. They all are good at one in particular thing. I think they'll I think they'll improve and I think they'll be close to the playoffs. I'm not sure if they'll make it, but I think they'll be close and could make it. I just I guess I could see them getting to 34 and 35 if that, if that gets you in. That's a disaster scenario for them, though. Just because, <laughs> like, they get to the, not only do they get to the playoffs and they earn the right to just be slaughtered by the Cavaliers, whoever finishes first in the East, but then now, if they get to that point where they're in the playoffs, and I don't care if 35 victories get you there, that's a six win improvement. Uh, you're going to have to say Aaron Gordon and or Alfred Payton. Pay, played really well so now you're gonna have to pay a lot of money for Aaron Gordon and or Alfred Payton to keep them that's like it's almost 
like you, if you're the Magic, like it's better off to be bad, get the high draft pick, and hope that you can just get something close to a definitive verdict on on Gordon or Payton at this point. Because if they finished close to if they're ninth in the East, if they win 35 games, like that's just a disaster for, scenario for them. Yeah, well, I'm optimistic in terms of win totals. If you want optimistic for like the future of the no, franchise, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't think. Uh, I want to say you're wrong, but if we're going to say that 35 could come close to getting you in in the East, and I don't think we could say that it won't, uh, th- then I do think that's a, that's a fair projection. I, I still think they're going to end up under 30, though. I just think they're wow. 29 or, th- or 30, maybe 31. That's like I'm going as high as 31 would be my uh, projectional ceiling for them. My official number guess would be somewhere between the two things I said earlier, which would be like 32 or 33. But I don't think they'll end up under 30 at I, all. I think they could. And I think at 30 – I'm going to go with 30 on the button. I'll hedge between the two. So, I will go, I'll go 33. It's if we're, if we're going to quibble over 30 and 52 or, or 33 <laughs> and 49, things aren't going well in Orlando. That seems like a pretty good spot um, to end it. If you want to talk to Tony Moore about his – Magic takes. Um, you can follow. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at t east mba. It's spelled like it sounds. He is again writing for our own NBA math. He is also writing for Death Pen Hoops, and you should definitely check out the Locked On Pacers podcast at Locked On underscore Pacers, for which he is a co-host. Give those guys a, a listen and and subscription. Uh, if you want to talk to me, uh, you can get at me at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled like it sounds. We are at Hardwood Knox, and you can also follow NBA Math at NBA underscore math. Since Andy is not here, I'm spared from having to make a shout-out to that certain mid-range savant that he loves so much. So until next time. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Five-hour tea with caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.